You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 4 through 7 today. And as we begin to wrap up our Advent season in this um, theme of the gift exchange or the gift swap, what we're going to talk about today from the scriptures is this idea of exchanging our worry and our anxiety for his peace. And as you're turning, I want to make a couple declarations first. Number one, this one might be the most difficult of all the four. <laughs> of, of trading those worries and those anxieties that we tend to, to hold on for his peace. Second declaration I want to say to you is that it, it's good for us to acknowledge there's a difference between concern and anxiety or worry. If you're out driving today and your brakes start squeaking, you should be concerned about that and see that that's taken care of. If you fix yourself a sandwich this afternoon at your home and you pull out the cheese and there's mold on it, you should be concerned about not putting that piece of cheese on your sandwich. There's a difference between having concern for a situation, for a person, for an event, and being anxious or worried and letting that consume us. And then I also want to say this. When we talk about anxiety and worry today, I'll recommend and I, and us to, to realize, and I realize, that there is a difference between anxiety that is often caused sometimes by physical ailments, hormonal things get out of whack, some people's particular glands work in a different way and that causes, there's, there's real physical medical anxiety that people have to deal with. And I'm in no way intending to preach this message to you and to have you say, oh, a preacher told me to go off my anxiety meds. Okay? I acknowledge that sometimes physically there are things that happen to us that we have to deal with. I physically have to put two little lenses in my eyes every morning so I can see. We're not talking about that. We're talking about that anxiety, that worry that is often man-made, that is often mustered up within us, that is often brought to us by our enemy who seeks to get us all twisted. That is the anxiety and the worry that we're talking about today. And again, that we will recognize that there's a difference between concern and this anxiety and this worry. The Bible talks about being concerned. It usually talks about it in, in language of take care or be watchful or those kinds of things. I want to just read you a few examples today. Luke 12, 15, when Jesus is teaching about the parable of the rich fool, he says, take care, a phrase meaning be concerned. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Maybe we should have preached that one on the Sunday before Christmas. Acts 20, 28, Paul is speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus, the leaders, and says, Pay careful attention, have concern to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, to be concerned with the church of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Paul, here speaking about spiritual gifts, says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care or concern for one another. 
And even in this letter of Philippians, in Philippians 2, verse 19, he says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There is a biblical concern that we should have for people, for situations, for ourselves, But that biblical concern does not look like the anxiety and the worry of the world. Biblical concern motivates us to action so far as any of the situation depends on us. Again, if your brakes are squeaking and there's concern, your action is to take it to somebody who can fix it if you can't fix it yourself. But anxiety and worry often paralyze us. They don't move us in any action, way, shape, or form. Concern often moves us to seek a solution or to seek an ending to the situation or what's before us. Anxiety and worry tend to keep us stuck and stuck in the negative. One reading that I did this week in anticipation for today's message, the person put it this way, concern is a thoroughfare meaning a street or an avenue or something that gets you through from one place to another. Anxiety is a cul-de-sac. You just get in and just start going in circles. And concern often moves us to trust God. Concern about ourselves, concern about someone else, concern about a situation should move us to trust God. Anxiety and worry moves us to trust ourselves. If I don't fix it, if I don't get it done, if I don't do it, then it's not going to happen. And so those are some differences that we want to understand between concern and the anxiety and the worry of the world as we look at Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Follow along with me, if you will. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Our first point today is this, that there are two characteristics Paul gives here of persons who do not worry or who do not yield themselves over to anxiety and worry. It's found in the first two verses here of four and five. The first one is this, the first characteristic is joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Maybe one of the more difficult commandments of Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord when things are going your way. Rejoice in the Lord when all your plans have come to fruition like you anticipated them to. No, rejoice in the Lord always. And just for emphasis, Paul says, again, I say, rejoice. How does one rejoice when you can fill in your own blanks today? How does one rejoice when the things of our lives are not going the way we anticipated, when the things of our culture and our world are not going the way we anticipated, when the things maybe of our church are not going the way we anticipated? How do we rejoice in that? Paul doesn't really tell us necessarily how to do it. He just says, do it. And I believe one of the reasons we have difficulty in living this sort of joyful life is because, unfortunately, we have often made, in our culture and even sometimes within our Christian culture, worry and anxiety as some sort of spiritual badge of honor. 
Oh, look how much they worry about those things. Oh, look how much anxiety is dominating their life about such situations. They must really care. And we tend to take that on as a, as a badge of honor or as a badge of spirituality that really just is not found anywhere else in the Scripture. Sometimes we don't rejoice because I think we believe that if we are found to be joyful people always and in everything, then what we're communicating to people is we don't have any concerns about anything. And that's not true either. Rejoicing in everything does not mean we lack concern. It does not mean we don't care for that person or that situation or whatever's going on. What it rejoicing in things always means is that we are acknowledging we find our joy in the Lord. Not in people, not in situations, not in how the things are going our way or not going our way. Our joy is found in the Lord, and we recognize His presence even during, and perhaps maybe we should say especially during the distressing times. This has been a theme throughout Paul's letter of Philippians, if you, if you know this letter well. He's talked much about rejoicing. I'm, I'm just going to read to you some passages that I highlighted out of the fullness of Philippians here. Philippians 1, verse 18 and 19. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. Philippians 2, verse 17, we looked at this a few weeks ago as we were going through that unity series. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Towards the end of Philippians 2, as he talks about his desire to have sent Epaphroditus, but he had been ill. He says in verse 26 or 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. So their joy would calm Paul's anxiousness. Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord as he begins to talk about the righteousness that they have in God. Rejoicing becomes a choice. Rejoicing in everything and all things becomes a choice. And when we choose joy, and we choose rejoicing in the Lord, and we choose putting our focus on Him instead of all the things, then the anxieties and the worries of this world begin to go away. But we have to choose that. So the first characteristic is to rejoice or to be joyful. The second characteristic is in verse 5. Let your reasonableness, or a better way to say it is gentleness, be known to everyone. So rejoice and be gentle. Why would Paul talk about being gentle here? Well, because anxiety and worry gets us all twisted up, doesn't it? The English word for worry, going all the way back to the old English word from whence it has derived from, is a word that means to strangle or to tear at the throat. And we know, by personal understanding, my guess is, when we are consumed with anxiety and worry, it strangles us. It holds us down. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary says this, If you've ever really worried, you know how it strangles a person. And in fact, worry has definite physical consequences, headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains. 
And when you and I are consumed by anxiety and worry and we're not consumed with rejoicing and we're consumed with looking at all the negative and not living in the positive, it affects us. We don't sleep well. We don't eat well. We have pains in our bodies that we didn't know we had places that could have pains in our bodies. And I don't know about you, but when I don't eat well and I don't sleep well and I have pain, I'm not generally very gentle. I'm actually usually pretty irritable. And so Paul tells us we rejoice and we choose gentleness so that the anxieties and the worries that are of our our lives don't consume us. I know this week in my own prep time for this, and I've told you this multiple times, I'll tell you again, uh, if it's a good sermon to you, it's been a hard sermon on me. And I know in my own life this week, as I've been preparing and reading and preaching and making notes, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the Holy Spirit go, hey, are you listening? Are you listening to what you're getting ready to lay down on Sunday? Because I've had my own anxieties and worries over the last three, four, five weeks. Some of you know some of the anxieties and worries I've had. Some of you don't know some of the anxieties and worries I've had. Some of you don't know that I know about some of the anxieties and worries that I don't have or have had. And I haven't slept well and I haven't eaten well. And the other day I had Alyssa rub Icy Hot all over my back because when it lodges in me, it tenses me up right here. And I lay in bed the other night and I was like, Lord, I get it. I get it. It's yours. It's yours. I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be gentle. Because this is what you're telling me here to do in this scripture. And what he's telling you to do in this scripture. To go away from the anxieties and the worries of our world. You might say, well then how can we rejoice and be gentle at the same time when all this stuff's going on around us? Again, he reminds us here in verse 5. He gives us a reason at the end of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. How can you rejoice when fill in the blank? How can you be gentle when fill in the blank? We remind ourselves that the Lord is at hand, or another phrasing is the Lord is near. In other words, we remind ourselves of the presence of God. We have just sung about that he is Emmanuel, God with us. We have just sung that he is a way maker. And so we remind ourselves that he is not far off from us. He's not removed from our situations. He's not looking at all the things that are going on in our lives from a distance. Bette Midler, God love her. She's a good singer, but that song was horrible. God is not watching us from a distance. God is here. He is in my midst and he's in your midst. And he's here to deliver you. And deliver me and deliver us from the anxieties and the worries of the world that are consuming us. Failing to acknowledge this truth from Paul that the Lord is near is essentially, and I, don't want, I want you to hear me here. Failing to acknowledge that God is here in our midst, in our personal midst, in our community midst, in our national midst, in our world midst. Failing to acknowledge that as a truth is essentially the thinking of a deist, not a theist. Because a deist said, oh yes, there is a God and he created everything, but once he created it, he's hands off and he doesn't have any responsibility for it anymore. That is not who we are. 
we are by definition persons who are called theists, meaning that this God is active and he's alive and he has not left his creation to ruin and he has not left his creation to chance and he is involved intimately both by his own power and by the power he displays and gives through his people, the church. Every moment the Lord is near and every moment he's a little bit more near because every moment is either another moment closer to his return or it's another moment closer to our going to him. We rejoice and we live gently because we know he is at hand. Secondly, we see two responses to anxiety or worry here in verse 6. Paul doesn't simply just tell us pray about it, which is sometimes what we tell people, right? You got a situation, we'll just pray about it. He, he really spells out some specific focus here. Number one, he says this, in everything by prayer. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. This would really be kind of point 1A for just a moment. That we pray about everything, not just the big things, that we pray about everything. We don't just give God the big stuff and hold on to the little stuff ourselves. Now, let me make this clarification here for you. I don't think you need to stand in front of your closet and go, well, I'm going to pray about should I wear the red shirt or the blue shirt today. Just put a shirt on, okay? But about the things that are in my life and your life and the life of our world and our nation and our country and our church and our community, in those things, pray about them. In everything, by prayer, we pray. We take our responsibilities seriously to rejoice and to be gentle while remembering that God is near. And we take our responsibilities seriously to understand that prayer is a way that we let God know what's going on and ask him to work. And prayer is a conscious dependence upon God and an acknowledgement that we have very little control in this life. That yes, there are some things that are my responsibility and your responsibility. And yes, there are some things that are our responsibility as a church. And yes, there are some things where we're commanded to walk and go and do and work. But the reality of it is, in the majority of the things that we get anxious and worry about, there's really not one thing that you and I can change about it. But he can. And so we pray to him. And not only do we pray, Paul says, but he's, he gives us a second, like a, a 1B here, if you will, in everything by prayer and supplication. So he starts off by saying pray, and then he says, but don't just pray, pray in supplication. What is supplication? It's needs. The, when I walk you through prayer time on Sunday morning, I'm walking you through the acronym Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Only I typically say needs because I figured you all probably weren't familiar with the word supplication because we don't use it a lot in our everyday language. But that's what Paul is saying here. Pray and pray for needs. And the, the word here is designed to help us to understand that it is not just general prayer but it is specific prayer. So when you are praying for people who are sick, you pray specifically for them by name, by illness, and what they're going on. When you're praying for something that's going on in our world or our nation, our culture, you pray specifically for those things. Not just to, oh God, bless the church. Oh God, just bless them or bless all the sick people. One, one writer that I read this week said it this way. He said, this is sniper prayer, not shotgun prayer. This is pinpoint. 
that we pray in specifics for people when the anxieties and the worries are around us. Ian Bounds, writing on prayer, said this, Prayer is the language of a person burdened with a sense of need. I think too often we don't pray with supplication because we're not burdened enough. Or you say, oh, I worry. That's not being burdened. I'm anxious about all these things. That's not being burdened. Being burdened is that we remove ourselves from the way the world deals with all these things and we begin to pray specifically for these things. But notice what Paul also says in terms of how we respond. We pray and we pray with supplication, but then the second response is we pray with thanksgiving. We balance out the needs, we balance out the situations, we balance out the things that we're concerned about, and we balance those things out with thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? Because we need to be reminded of what God has done and how God did get us through and how God did make a way when we're still trying to figure out in these new situations, what is he going to do? We need to be reminded that he has done things and has done things and is doing things in our lives that are good for us. I was at uh, Walmart in Shelbyville Wednesday while Gabriel was in therapy. And uh, they, they had the, the cashiers, and I saw one line close. The light went off, and all the people kind of started moving around. And this lady came up to me, and she said, are you in line? I said, yeah. She said, well, I'm just going to sit here and get in behind you. And she said, they said that line was open, but then they didn't have a cashier. So now we all got to go over here and get in these other lines. And I said, I know. It's horrible, isn't it? And she said, yeah. And I said, I sure am glad I don't live in Mayfield. Now, some of y'all might think, well, Pastor, that's kind of rude. Well, okay, it might have been rude. But I needed this lady to understand that we have a lot to be thankful for. That waiting 10 more minutes in Walmart in comparison to what others are going through in our, even our own state we pray with thanksgiving. We pray for those needs of those people, but then we also pray with thanksgiving so that we can look back and see who God has been and what he has done so that in those moments we know we can trust him to get us out of these. It's something that Paul would write to the Colossian church as well. In Colossians 3, beginning in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father for him. We pray, we rejoice, we pray specifically, but we do all these things with thanksgiving. And Paul has written in Philippians, if you're familiar with the book, he's, he's written in Philippians up to this point, and he's talked a lot about mindset or attitude. When we were in Philippians 2 in those weeks dealing with unity, and he talked about us having the same mind and having the mind that is ours in Christ Jesus, it was a word I told you then that has to do with mindset or attitude. And so what we see from Philippians is what Paul has been teaching all the way through this letter is before we ever get to the prayer piece, we've got to have the right mindset. Before we ever get to the rejoicing and prayer and thanksgiving, we got to have the right attitude. And the attitude that he's been writing about through the letter of Philippians is that our minds would be gospel-centered. That our minds would be humble and yielding for unity. That our minds would be focused on the things of heaven and not the things of the earth. 
He doesn't start the letter by saying pray this way. He starts the letter and goes through three chapters saying this is what our attitudes and mindset should be. And once we get there, then we begin this work of praying. Because a gospel-centered mind pours out adoration to God in supplication and prayer and thanksgiving. A mind focused on unity and harmony pours out supplication and prayer on behalf of others in a very specific and pinpoint way because we're not just looking for our own interests, but we're looking for theirs as well from Philippians 2. A mind focused on heavenly things is a mind that acknowledges that this world as it currently exists is not our home and is not our goal. And in thanksgiving we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. We rejoice and we pray and we are able to do these things as we begin to close up by the last point. We see two promises from God here in Philippians 4 verse 7. He tells us, first of all, in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What does it mean to surpass all understanding? Well, we tend, when we hold on to anxiety and worry and all that, we tend to draw our own conclusions, don't we? We draw our own conclusions as to why we're in this situation. We draw our own conclusions as to how we're going to get out of this situation. We draw our own conclusions as to when this situation is over, how it's going to affect everybody that it affects. And the understanding here is that this word understanding really is a word of knowledge. And so we trust that the promise of God is that the peace of God surpasses our knowledge about the situation. In other words, the peace of God transcends what we think we know and how we think we got here and how we think it's going to end up. And the peace of God says, your knowledge, your understanding is limited. Let my peace surpass that because I am near. I am near. Daniel gives us a beautiful example of this from Daniel chapter 6. The king has has had a decree, Darius has had a decree that no one is allowed to, to pray or to acknowledge any other God or man or for 30 days. It's, it's happened. He's been deceived by his leaders because they've basically set Darius up to, to make this decree because his leaders are, are not happy with Daniel. And so he signs this, this document, this injunction that basically says that anybody who goes against it has to be thrown in the lion's den. And Daniel 6, beginning in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he got anxious. Mm-mm. When Daniel saw, uh, knew the document had been signed, he got worried and started figuring out a way to get out of it. No. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. He did not look at the situation, the document, the injunction that had been signed and say, oh my gosh, if I pray now, they're going to throw me in the lion's den. Oh my gosh, if I pray now, I'm probably going to lose my responsibility under Darius. Oh my gosh, if I pray now. No, he just went and prayed as he had always done, the scripture says. He did not let the situation and the anxiety and the worry deter him from the discipline that he had had previously. 
And there's this beautiful piece to Daniel. If you, if you, you're up in church, you, you know the story. He gets thrown in the lion's den. He, 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 he comes out of the lion's den fine. But in Daniel 6:18, after this has happened, after the king has really not wanted to, but had no choice but to throw Daniel in the lion's den, it says this in 6:18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversion was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. In other words, the king got no rest. Daniel sidled up next to a bunch of lions and slept through the night. All because he chose to pray. All because he chose to let the peace of God surpass his knowledge of the situation of hand, at hand. And the second promise that we see from God is there. That peace of God will not only surpass our knowledge, but will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard here is most definitely a military term. And so if you want to envision in your mind a spiritual guard over your heart and your mind that God sets forth as you pray and as you rejoice and as you do not uh, just simply pray, but pray generally and specifically for people. And this guard guards your heart. It's, it guards the mind, it, it guards our reason, it guards our thinking, it guards our emotions, it guards all of these things so that the anxieties and the worries of the world don't choke us out. See, that, that anxiety and that worry, we have to have our minds and our hearts guarded from it because it leads us down all sorts of rabbit holes. It leads us down all sorts of trails that we don't need to go down. It leads us down all kinds of conversations that we shouldn't have. It leads us down all kinds of wonderings of what's going to happen. Our hearts, our minds need to be guarded because all those rabbit holes just take us further and further away from God and further and further away from trusting Him. And notice how Paul ends it in verse 7. Again, the peace of God will surpass, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's, that's the whole point of Advent for us. Is that Jesus has come to be our hope, to be our love, to be our joy, to be our peace. That there's no presence of peace without the presence of Jesus. There's no presence of peace without the priority of Jesus. And there can be no presence and priority of Jesus when we yield to anxiety and worry. When we do that, the only thing that holds dear in our hearts and our minds are anxiety and worry. But when we hold Jesus, when we rejoice in Him, when we pray in Him, when we pray specifically in Him, God's peace comes and washes away what we think we know. And provides us a guarded heart and mind in Christ Jesus. As with all things this Advent season, we must understand this great truth. We cannot trade these things away and yet still hold on to them. Denny's going to play God. Here's my anxiety. I'll keep a little piece of it. How about that? That's what we do, don't we? Here's my despair. Here's my hatred. Here's my sorrow. Here's, here's everything that I have, God. I'm going to give, well, I'll, I'll just hold on to it a little bit, though. 
You don't really need it all. Yes, he came to take it all. He came to take it all and to put in its place hope and peace and love and joy that we might be found in him. And not only that we might be found in him, but that others might see him in us. Will you trade your anxieties and your worries today for his perfect peace? Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.